In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so uh, now, uh, very conscious that time has already gone, basically, but what we're going to do is, uh, I, I used to go to Poland quite often, and there was never a problem over time there. They didn't bother with uh, looking at the clock. And So what we'll, what we'll do is we'll continue and just see as the Lord leads us. But the thing this, this morning is that I was meant to be speaking on something different. But as I prayed and as I was seeking the Lord, I just knew that the Lord was saying, we're not ready. We're not ready to start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit yet. Because there are some of the basics which I still feel that a number of us are struggling with. And so this morning, we're going to talk about some of those yet again. And it feels to me as though we sort of reached a bit of a plateau and we're struggling to now move on from that position that the Lord would have us to do so. But we do need to, uh, to do this this morning. And so I pray that we would be able to hear um, God speaking to us. Two sections of Scripture, and they both end in the same way, talking about prophecy and tongues. But we have to talk about the part that goes before first. And so you'll see the link between the two. We're working our way through Acts. We've come into chapter 2 and we read verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Those words have just stuck out so much to me. One accord in one place. Imperative that we understand this. The church of Jesus Christ is around the whole world and we've demonstrated that this morning. Lots of different nations are represented here. But we're in one accord and we're in one place. And that one place is that we're before God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we turn over to Acts 19 if we may. Acts chapter 19 verses 1 to 7. Um, we'll be looking back at Acts uh, 18 a little bit later, but we won't read from that uh, section just there. But I just need to make the point that the two chapters, are. In, it's important that we understand the two chapters go together because you won't understand what's gone wrong with these guys in, uh, in chapter 19, unless you understand chapter 18, it's imperative to see it. So we read from verse 1, 1 to 7, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Uh, notice the name Apollos was at Corinth. That Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Have you ever thought about that statement before? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. 
Now, the men were about 12 in all. What interesting sections of Scripture we have before us. And I hope and pray that as we begin to look at these, we will understand um, a vital lesson for us this morning. So Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, Paul arrives in Ephesus and he finds a group of, and we're told they're disciples. Remember, words are important, particularly God's words. God's word is important to us. And we need to be careful when we try and change things to suit our own views and opinions. Can't do that. If we're unsure of Scripture, we look at Scripture to compare and to uh, see what is being spoken to us. So he finds this group of disciples. And this is the Apostle Paul. You'd have thought he'd have known who a group of disciples were. And he asks them a question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asks them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now there's another word that's important to apply to these dozen guys. So we've got two, disciples and repentance. And he told them to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus Christ. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. It's an interesting account. Paul's arriving in Ephesus for the first time and he meets 12 men and he describes them with these words. Now, they're all words that we're familiar with. They're all words that we use ourselves to talk about each other. They're words that we use to talk about people perhaps from different churches and so on. So firstly, they are disciples. And he says this in verse 1, that he found some disciples. Secondly, they're described as believers. He asks them in verse 2 about when they believed. And thirdly, they were baptized. And he says to them, well, what baptism did you receive? He asked them, and John's baptism is the answer that is given. That's how they reply. And then finally, in verse 4, They've been repentant. He says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So we conclude that they had experienced and understood repentance. But Paul was troubled. There was something about this group of 12 men that just didn't feel right. There was a problem. And some of us here this morning know what this problem is. You see, we can relate to all the words that's been spoken to. But we know, deep down, in our hearts and in our lives, right now, there's a problem. We've been praying about the problem for a long time. We've been seeking help. We may even have been prepared to broach the pastor or one of the other leaders in the church to speak about this problem that has just been eating away and niggling away inside us for a long time. But Paul was troubled. You see, if I met a group of men who were repentant, who were believing, who had been baptized, 
and who called themselves disciples, I'd be saying hallelujah. It's tremendous to meet you. And I'd believe the very best about them. And I've got a feeling that most of us here this morning would do exactly the same. We'd think the very best about them. But Paul was troubled. Something isn't quite right. Something's lacking. Something's missing. And then he asks them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they didn't even know what he was talking about. And sadly, there are some of us this morning that have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives and how vital he is. I can't blame some people because churches today, and particularly the area in which we live, have been pretty tardy when it comes to the teaching of the Holy Spirit, of explaining to people the imperative nature of the Holy Spirit living within us. Some churches haven't for decades, it seems, been prepared to preach and to bring teaching on the Holy Spirit. My wife has spoken to me on this point, brought up in a church, and she can just not remember the Holy Spirit being spoken of all of her life. And so they said, no, we've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And yet this question was the most vital question of all. Why? And this morning, it's the most vital question that you too need to face. You too need to answer. You too need to look at your life and, and start to question what is being spoken of here. Because it is absolutely vital. It's the most vital question of all. Why is it the most vital question? Because it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer that gives spiritual life. Spiritual life isn't something that God gives to us. Spiritual life is God himself coming to live within us. To dwell within us by and through his Holy Spirit. And when Jesus met Nicodemus, we often speak of Nicodemus because it is such a, a clear and helpful account for us to understand. You remember the story. He was a Pharisee. Now that meant that he was a religious leader. He knew it all. He'd been trained and taught from a youngster right the way through to the point that he could recite acres and acres of the Old Testament. He knew everything. And if anybody should have been able to answer his questions, he should have been able to have answered them. He was a religious leader of Israel. He knew the Word of God. He was schooled in the law. He was meticulous. They looked at every you know, little mark in the Hebrew. Now, I don't write Hebrew, but it's you know, like a work of art when you see it. And so he paid attention to detail. He was disciplined as the Pharisees were. And he comes to Jesus by night and he says, Excuse me, Jesus. There's something about you that is inexplicable. 
It's inexplicable unless God is with you. I can't understand you and I can't explain what it is. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're exactly right. You can't understand. And Jesus goes on and says, I tell you the truth, that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And he looks completely blank. How can I be born again? He says, do I enter my mother's womb a second time? How could an intelligent man say something so ridiculous? That's it. Unless you receive, unless you're born again, you're not a recipient of this new life. And he went on to say in John 3 and verse 6, flesh, this is talking to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You see, Nicodemus You can't carry on trying your best to be godly because it's not working. This is your need to be the recipient of a new life, to be born again, to receive inside you the life of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote in Romans 8 verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not what? Can anyone finish it? Please, if anyone does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. Now do you see why the question is so important? And Paul knew there was something wrong. And he asked that question to them. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Essentially, Paul is saying, you can believe as much as you like, but unless you have the Spirit of God living within you, Paul says you don't belong to Christ. Doesn't matter how religious you are, how perfect you are. I met a group of three teenage girls yesterday. And they were proud that they aren't like all the others because they go to church on Sunday and they don't do anything else on Sunday. And after they've eaten their lunch from getting back from church, they read the Bible again and they pray and then they have something else to eat and then they do the same thing and then they go to church again in the evening and then they make it through to Monday morning. Being religious doesn't do it for you. And when I spoke to them about knowing Christ, who? Not quite as bluntly as that. Did you, did you know Jesus? Well, he's in the Bible. Completely blank. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24, John writes this is how we know that he lives in us we know it by the spirit that he gave to us i think that the book of acts teaches us that there are four essential ingredients 
in true confession. Now again, in the area in which we live, we hear a lot about confession of faith. But what is it in? There is repentance towards God. A change of mind toward God. Remember, uh, repentance is not something you do. Repentance is something you think. It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind about God. And it's a change of mind about you. About the sin in your life. Faith. On the basis of my turning from what I am and what I do, I turn to who Christ is and what He does. Faith is based on the uh, disposition that says, I can't, but He can. Because suddenly we realize that we can no longer achieve anything ourselves. And faith is to recognize, I can't, but He can. And we recognize that when it comes to salvation, I can't do it, but He can do it. Please save me when it comes to living the Christian life, because I can't do it, but He can. Repentance and faith. And then there is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. When Peter preached the first sermon after Pentecost, and it's there in chapter 2, and those of us uh, who who have attended the baptismal classes um, here in this fellowship, we always look at this section of Scripture because it is so important. So after his first sermon after Pentecost, in the new era of the church which was born at Pentecost, the people shouted out and said, What should we do? After Peter has reminded them that they crucified Jesus. And in reply to the answer in Acts 2 verse 38. Peter looks at them clearly and he says. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very clearly stated. That's what will happen. Because that is what will give you life. Nothing else will. And then the fourth ingredient in the New Testament conversion is baptism. Now we have to speak about this briefly. And I know some people say, oh, baptism is not about salvation. Well, we do need to be careful how we speak about these things sometimes. And yes, I agree, it's not in that sense. But it's a portrayal of what has gone on inside. The person being baptized says, when Jesus Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him. My sin has been paid for, is what we're saying. When Jesus Christ was buried, I was buried with him. So my sin has been taken down into a deep hole and buried. It's gone. It's been taken from me. It's buried. And I have risen. To walk in unity of life and coming out of the water is a picture of what that means to be raised to life. And we rejoice in that. Now we're planning another baptismal service before too long and if there's anybody who'd like to talk to me uh, about being baptized as a believer, please come and do so. 
now live in the resurrection life of Jesus. So baptism was an essential part. It was portrayed and it portrays all of the gospel to the world. Now Paul meeting these men, knowing these four things that characterized even his preaching, repentance, faith, receiving the Spirit, baptism, and he says three of these things are right with these people. Three are right. Three are fully in place. But one is missing. And it's the most essential part that's missing, as we have seen from the Scriptures that we have read. They had never received the Holy Spirit of God into their lives. Now, Paul was very wise. We know that as we read the Scriptures, the way he answered and spoke to people, and he's very wise in the way that he speaks to these 12 chaps here. He didn't tell them what was missing. You've got to let people answer for themselves. And as uh, Randy and Stephen were talking, I think that's one of the things that they took. You know, there's, there's no better way to get somebody to admit that they've got a problem when they thought they didn't. And Paul simply says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, were, when you believed? And that's when they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit Now, we know how this situation came about. I've alluded to it because we have to turn back into chapter 18 to be able to see what is going on there. I'll just read a verse or so. It's the, at the end of uh, chapter 18, and it says, A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that was a big city in northern Egypt. Lots of clever people lived there, had a big library and things like that. A lighthouse as well, I think. And he came to Ephesus. He was an educated man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, we're told. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, great passion. And he taught about Jesus accurately. Though he only knew the baptism of John. Now, if you look at the baptism of John, he said about Jesus, you know, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and so on. So John certainly talked about the Holy Spirit, but Apollos had come with a gospel that stopped short of the Holy Spirit. And I've attended some churches around here, and exactly, it's a very strange thing that happens. If they talk about the gospel, they suddenly stop short of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual. It was the gospel that John the Baptist had preached and it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogues. This is Apollos. And he moved around the area and then we hear that Priscilla and Aquila heard him and they invited him to their home afterwards because they too knew there was a problem. But graciously and gently they invited Apollos to come and to meet into their home. And they explained to him, we're told in the Scriptures, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. They explained, Apollos, you're right, well, you're 75%, right? But there's something you don't have in your message. And that is the Holy Spirit. The life of God being imparted to people. Apollos... 
It's that that transforms people. And Apollos got it. But the damage had already been done. And these 12 men had become disciples. They'd believed. They'd listened to Apollos' message. And they'd embraced all that Apollos had preached. But they had not encountered the missing piece. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. There are a few of us this morning that have got lots of pieces. But we haven't got all the pieces and we haven't got them put together to form the puzzle, to see the picture. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Is the Holy Spirit living in you? Do you know that he dwells within you? Is the life of God present in you? We'll talk about the evidences in just a moment. Is the Holy Spirit living in you? Because it is his presence alone which makes you alive and creates in you new appetites and new desires and new resources and new strands of living the Christian life that only somebody who has the indwelling presence of God living within them can ever, ever understand. And other people who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus and indeed have the Holy Spirit living, working within them, they're able to see and to know. Let me give you three evidences of the Holy Spirit living in your heart. I'm going to read three verses from John uh, chapters 15 and 16. And I'll give you the first of these three evidences that you have of the Holy Spirit and the life of God living in you. So Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit in these, uh, these chapters. We know that well. We've been studying John for a while. And this is what he said in chapter 15, verse 26. This is Jesus speaking. He says, he, that is the Holy Spirit, he will testify about me, about Jesus. And then he said in chapter 16, verse 14, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me. That's to Jesus. And then chapter 16 and verse 15, he says, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the first evidence that the Holy Spirit has come to live within a person's life is this. You're hungry. Suddenly there's a hunger inside you to do what? To know Jesus Christ better. And that hunger only comes because the Holy Spirit is living within you. It's the Holy Spirit's job in us to testify about Jesus Christ, to bring glory to Christ, <clears throat> to make the things of Christ known and to make them real to us. And a mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is that all of a sudden, you can't explain it, all of a sudden, everything changes. All of a sudden, Jesus steps out of history and he steps into you. Amen? And, and, and this is just so incredible. And it's the thing that changes us. And, and we look back in our lives and maybe for years, for decades even, we have been struggling on thinking we can do all of this and we've failed to understand. 
that just knowing about Jesus doesn't do it. But Jesus living within you. Because he steps out of history and he just puts his arms around you and he squeezes you so tight. And you become hungry because you want to know more about him. You want to know everything about him. You want to know all the promises that he has got. Everything that he means to you. The Holy Spirit's job in us is to testify about Christ, to bring glory to Christ, to make the things of Christ known to us. Jesus steps out of history. He steps out of the Bible. And he becomes a living person in your heart and life. And that's why I say everything changes. Everything changes. Because suddenly you have that hunger to know him, to love him. You know, we cannot stress enough that the Christian life is centered around Christ. And yet, church after church today hardly mentions the name of Jesus. They talk about God. And when they talk about Jesus, there's almost no mention of a personal relationship. You can know Jesus as your friend. You can be a friend of the King. And that's the relationship he wants with you. The Christian life has to be centered around Jesus. Jesus saves us. And that is the Holy Spirit's work, is to focus and to feed that hunger. Therefore, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, and maybe you've just skipped over this verse, I have on many occasions. Verse 2 says, I have betrothed you to one husband. And that's a little bit complicated in some respects. But you see, we are betrothed to Christ. There is no other. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. You are to be married to Christ. And in this metaphor that is used, we're not married to the Holy Spirit. By the way, let, just let me throw in a point of caution here. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is not that we become preoccupied by the Holy Spirit. That seems to be another thought that's going around today. And I always get a little bit worried and nervous when I meet people. And all they can do to, is to talk to me about the Holy Spirit. All they want to do is to talk about the Holy Spirit. And everything they say is about the Holy Spirit. Everything is of Him, from Him, to Him, through Him, and by Him, and around Him. And Anna, where's Anna? And when Anna prays at the beginning of her service, you know what she says? She says, Jesus. Because she knows Jesus is listening. And it's Jesus who hears our prayers. And I rejoice in that, incidentally, with all these young people. What a joy. Where's the rest of you? What's going on? Are you not interested in praying for people in our service? Souls brought into the kingdom? Our children are. One of them's only about this tall. Where's Enley? Hi, Enley. Good girl. You want to be challenged, come up to the front of the church at the beginning of the service and pray. And something's wrong here. I'll tell you why. In the Trinity, 
which are the co-equal members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that the Father has personal names, the Son has personal names, but the Holy Spirit doesn't. The Father is called Jehovah. Uh, perhaps these names are not easy to translate into English. Uh, so we use God and Lord and so on. Jehovah is translated Lord in most English Bibles. Elohim is another name for God, God the Father, and we've been learning about the names of God in the children's talks for the last uh, few months. The Son has the name Jesus, which means, what does Jesus mean? He'll save his people from their sins. Jesus, if you're a sinner, anyone not a sinner here? Right, Jesus has come to save us. All of us. Joseph, you had to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But the Holy Spirit never has a name. He has titles. He's called the Counselor. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He's called the Holy Spirit, which is the most frequent description of him. But he's never given a name. Now, if I stood here this morning and you just simply described me as the speaker, well, it'd be pretty impersonal, wouldn't it? I'm Sim. I have a name. So why has the Holy Spirit never given a name? And I want to suggest that it's because the Holy Spirit's task is supremely to make us conscious of Jesus. Because Jesus came to save sinners. Paul might have said that he was the chief. I reckon there's a few of us, myself included, who'd like to rival him there. Supremely to mold us into the image of Christ. That, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is a hunger to know Jesus. To know Jesus Christ better. The Spirit bears witness to him. A young man went overseas um, on one of those short-term mission events. Two years, that was all. So he kisses his girlfriend goodbye and says, I'll see you in two years. This is before the internet and all that stuff. But he promises that he's going to write a letter to her every single day while he's away. And he's faithful in that. He writes a letter to her every single day. And the postman delivers. This is in the old days when the postman used to deliver. In England they still do, but used to deliver the letter. And the postman delivered the letter every day. And finally, the two years is up, and the young man comes back. And do you know what? He finds his girlfriend's married the postman. <laughs> okay? Isn't that terrible? <laughs> but she met him every day. Don't marry the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's important here? The Holy Spirit directs and gives us hunger to know Jesus because we're betrothed to Jesus.
Now, said Jesus, I'm leaving you. So Jesus talks in John 15 and 16, and he says, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor. He gives all these different titles. The Spirit of Truth, he says. And he will testify about me. He will bring glory to me. He will take what is mine, and he will make it known to you. Don't marry the postman. It's me he's bearing witness to. So one of the evidences that the Spirit of God has come to live within you is that you have an appetite for the Lord Jesus Christ that you never, ever had before. Before you were embarrassed to talk about Jesus. I come across some pastors that appear to be embarrassed to talk about Jesus. One of them in confession of faith said, it's not about Jesus we're confessing here. It's about God. I think, oh my word. No, you're wrong. <laughs> it's almost as if it's wrong to talk about Jesus, let alone in any personal way. Now this morning, there are some of you here and you know who you are. And you know that you're not saved, at least properly, if I could put it that way. And you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't live within you. Because you're not hungry after Christ. Perhaps you're too embarrassed to come and talk to anybody, let alone me about it. Too embarrassed to allow this situation to be known openly. But today is different. Because today you have to do something about this. Because God is speaking to you right now. And you know he is. Today you need to pray, Lord Jesus, I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not one of your children. I want to become one of your children. Would you please forgive me and come and live within me? And immediately people will criticize us. That's too easy. But that's what God wants of us. And perhaps as you pray that prayer, you'll feel nothing. And perhaps if someone spoke to you after, maybe in the seconds that we've said that, you've just in your heart and mind prayed that. And someone comes up to you afterwards and said, well, have you come to faith? And you're not sure. But if you have very soon, the next day, perhaps the next week, when you go to church or something else, for the very first time ever, you're interested in the message. For the very first time ever, everything begins to start making sense. And suddenly you discover that you want to worship God. Suddenly you find that you want to have fellowship with all those people, even some of the old ones if you're a young person. And you think, well, that's strange. That's never happened before. And you suddenly think to yourself, this is remarkable. These people have changed overnight, and it's not the people that have changed overnight, it's you. This used to be dull. The hour and a half on a Sunday morning was the longest hour and a half you used to face in the whole week. And suddenly, 
it's changed. What's happened? You've come to faith in Jesus. He has saved you. And from now on, your life is going to be different. You now know that Jesus belongs to you. And you belong to him. Because all of a sudden, you're hungry to know him better. And to find out everything he's got in store for you. And that was never there before. And here's the thing. You can't decide that. Wait. You can't. You cannot will that into being. It is the work of the Spirit of God that makes you hungry for Jesus. You won't know all the lingo from the Christian church straight away. Or all the doctrine. But you'll begin to learn. You'll want to find out. Why? Because you're hungry. Everything has changed. You're now a disciple. You're now a follower of the Lord Jesus. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life that makes you hunger and thirst after God. Makes you hunger and thirst after God. I think it was Veronica read those scriptures this morning when we were praying. Did you not? I can't remember. But So here's the first evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. You have an appetite. Now, the second evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you is a hunger to know Christ better. In other words, to be more like Jesus. And in Galatians uh, chapter 5, chapter of Scripture, we know very well, uh, we've all uh, learned the fury of the Spirit and so on. Paul talks about the battle that goes on in the heart of every Christian. And some of us this morning know about this battle more than perhaps others do. Between what he calls, the Apostle Paul says, the flesh and the natural life, the natural self, the old nature, the corrupt fallen nature, and the spirit who has come to live within us. And Paul says the acts of the flesh, the old nature, are obvious. And then in verse 19 he says, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage. Selfish ambitions. Some of you, I can see, are beginning to feel a bit uncomfortable at this particular point. Can the list go on any longer? Yes, it does. It says dissensions, factions, evil, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And we read that list and we say to ourselves, wow, what evil stuff. All of it. And yet, you know what? Inside our hearts and lives, deep down, we can relate to that list. We could almost actually enjoy some of it. Now, if you happen to be the editor of a tabloid newspaper here this morning, I hope there isn't one. Perhaps you've seen OK Magazine, you know, that magazine that's at the end of the checkouts in each of the aisles at Walmart and you're tempted to pick it up because the cover looks very interesting you know what I'm saying and I don't want anybody to to admit to having an okay magazine at home or whatever well if that's you then this verse you should have it printed and put on your desk as a reminder because if you fulfill everything that's in that verse the sales will go through the roof 
because this is what people want to read about. They want to read about sexual immorality. They want to read about impurity, debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, and so on. Because that's what sells newspapers and magazines. That's what they want to hear. And if you're the scriptwriter of a soap opera and you want this te- you'll want this text on your desk as well. Because this appeals to the old nature. And friends, this old nature, you will have to the day you die. But what happens when you come to faith in Jesus? Is that alongside that old nature, Paul says, comes the Spirit of God. Comes the Holy Spirit. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you're the editor of OK Magazine, you're not interested in any of those things because they won't sell your newspaper or your magazine. That doesn't make people switch on to the next episode of the soap opera. But that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And that fruit of the Holy Spirit is the character of Jesus. Have you ever understood this before? This is the very character of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What is the Spirit of God doing in you? He's expressing in you the very likeness of Jesus. That's where it comes from. He, the Spirit, doesn't make you like Jesus. And you're thinking to yourself, hold on a minute, that doesn't sound right. He, the Spirit, doesn't make you like Jesus. He himself is like Jesus Christ in you. Because the old you is constantly in conflict with this. And there is a battle that takes place within us. I love the fact that he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, not the flowers of the Spirit. Now, some people have got this very strange idea that we're all pretty flowers. That we're just to make the place look brighter and cleaner and nicer. And you say, what's the difference? Well, flowers are decorative. I mean, they're nice to look at. They improve the atmosphere. And obviously, any self-respecting church, oh, we didn't bring our flowers in this week, we've got lots of them outside. This isn't to make Christians nice people, so it's lovely to live next door to a Christian, or at least it should be lovely to live next door to a Christian, because they don't play their music at 1 a.m. in the morning. They don't have loud parties in the backyard, you know, late into the night. You've just had a newborn baby and the neighbor's got the music up loud and you're thinking to yourself, this is terrible and, you know. And they say good morning and they help you sometimes. You know it's nice having Christians working for you because they arrive on time and they don't leave early. And what they say is what they mean and it's nice having a boss who's a Christian because he treats you well and, you know, it's all good. But this is not what being a Christian is all about. Yes, the outworking would be there. It's not about just being a good person. We're not just flowers. 
This is fruit, we're told. What is fruit for? Fruit has an entirely different function to flowers. You don't say, this place is a bit drab this morning, how about we hang a bunch of bananas up in the corner? They'd think we'd gone completely do lally. <laughs> What's fruit for? Fruit is for consumption. Fruit is for eating. Many Christians just don't get this. But fruit is for the hungry. And the world is hungry. They may not realize it. And when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience... Uh, goodness, gentleness, uh, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you realize that people in Norwich need to eat your love? They need to feed on your joy. They need to feed on your peace and your patience and your kindness. They need to feed on our self-control. Being Christ-like isn't floating around six inches off the ground saying, bless you, my child. It's not being Christ-like. Being Christ-like is being like Christ. What was Christ like? He ate with the publicans. He met with sinners. He crossed the road to talk to a dirty woman that nobody else would be prepared to talk to, that they would be embarrassed to be seen with. He talked to lepers on the road who were there ringing a bell and shouting the words, unclean, unclean, keep away from me. And Jesus goes right up to them and he touched them. Whenever Jesus healed a leper, he always touched them. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is only fruit when other people are feeding on it and benefiting from it. And the Holy Spirit places within us an appetite, a hunger to know Jesus and a hunger to be like Jesus. And if you've got no hunger to be like Jesus, the Spirit doesn't live within you. And the third thing the Holy Spirit does in your heart is he creates a hunger to serve Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? John 7.37 Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice on the last day of the feast that was taking place in Jerusalem he stood up and he said in a loud voice If anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink. If you're thirsty don't stay thirsty. Come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me as the scripture has said streams of living water will flow out from them. Don't stay thirsty. Come to me and drink. And what happens is this. If you drink of me, then you will overflow with the love of God. And everybody else around will know you. Streams of living water. And then John adds an editorial comment on this and he says, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed him were later to receive. This is on the day of Pentecost. 
And up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Here's the Holy Spirit. I have to say route here because you won't understand root. The Holy Spirit's route of working is you're thirsty, don't stay thirsty. You don't need to stay thirsty. Come to me, drink of me. Take myself into your life. When I drink this, the water goes inside. And that's the picture that we have of Jesus. And you discover this. He's not going to stay there, settle down, be nice and cozy in your heart. He's going to flow out of your heart. He's going to flow out of your life like a river. And that means you're going to serve not just in what we said about the fruit being for other people's benefit and consumption, but he breeds within us a servant spirit. And that's why the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if we haven't the Holy Spirit, how can we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit? By definition, they are works of the Holy Spirit. And they are intended to benefit other people. They are for building up of other people, for the equipping of other people. But we need to be ready in our hearts and lives before we can talk of these things with other people. So there we have it. The evidences of the Holy Spirit living in you. Are you hungry for Jesus? Are you? Are you hungry to be more like Jesus? Are you? Are you hungry to serve Jesus? If this is you, then you have the Holy Spirit. If not, then you need to come to faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, and if anybody wants to pray along, do so. Lord Jesus, I know I'm not saved. I so much want to become one of your children. Would you please forgive me and come and live within me? Open our hearts, Lord, to hear your word speaking to us. And that we would allow the Holy Spirit to make us hungry for Jesus. Hungry to be more like Jesus.